really glad that you're here, especially if you're a guest with us again. Just welcome. Hope you just sit back and relax. I'm going to talk for a little bit, and uh, we're going to look back. We're kind of finishing up a series we've been in the midst of, and then we're going to worship a little bit more and, and have a time for communion, and then we'll be off into our day. And I think a few of you might be having Super Bowl parties potentially, or you don't like the Super Bowl at all, maybe you're going shopping. So, whoop, whoop. How many of you uh, pray? Don't raise your hand, because that would be awkward. But in your mind, you pray. Maybe like me, you find yourself at a crowded parking lot, driving around and around. Then you see that one person walking slowly through the cars, right? Are you with me? And you notice that they're heading down a certain aisle, which is only one aisle over from you. And then you start having that feeling, right, of like, oh, I wonder if. And, they, and I feel bad for those people because they're stalked. Um, and you maybe make your way around, and what are you praying in that moment? Lord, please let there be no one else stalking this person. This is my person. I saw them first. I need their spot. And then maybe they duck down a different aisle because they were just cutting through, and you're like, oh! And then you have to kind of stalk them more. And maybe there's certain moments of prayer that's, that's you know, simple like that. That's kind of silly. But maybe there's more times of significance in prayer where you get that phone call that you weren't expecting. And suddenly you're faced with the reality that it's, life is bigger than you, and you don't have a grasp on everything as much as you thought you did, and, and you're kind of drawn to your knees in prayer. In fact, there's many studies that say 95-plus percent of Americans pray. Now, we can have a big discussion and in, in debate and conversation about what that means and the implications of all that, and, and what is all of that, how does all that play out? But the reality is prayer is important. And today, I want to look at, um, at prayer as it comes to letting hope in. We've been in this series called Let Hope In. We've looked at four different choices that I'll recap here in a minute. But I want to talk about uh, this. This is what a great theologian, uh, Henry Nouwen, uh, is one of my favorite authors. He says this about prayer. He says, prayer is the central pre- essential piece of the Christian life, the only necessary thing. That prayer is more than just... Um, approaching prayer like an ATM. Maybe, how many of you have been to an ATM before? And you walk up to an ATM, right? It's been out of your total experience. Fin- finally, it's in the middle, in the front of you, and it is your experience. And you walk up, you punch in your code, you take your money, and you leave, and you forget that whole experience, right? And for a lot of people, that's kind of what prayer is. Prayer is like an ATM experience. It's, uh, I need it when I need it, and then I do it, and then I leave, and I leave that experience. And and yet, scriptures over and over kind of talk about this notion of even the Apostle Paul said, I pray continually. Prayer is meant to be this continual conversation because it's not just about an interaction. It's not just about this experience one time. It's about connection. It's not just communication one-sided. It's about connection. It's about, it has a relational undertone to it. That it's, it's praying not just for you, but praying because you want to connect with your creator and he wants to connect with you. It's not just one-sided, okay, here's my laundry list of things, but it's meant to be so much more than that. And I think as we kind of come to the end of this series, it, it would be 
um, I think I'd be amiss if we just said, okay, here's four choices for you to make. And uh, real quick, if you if you had kind of missed some of this stuff, uh, some of those choices we said is, hey, there's some decisions that we can make that kind of help hope become more and more uh, a reality of life, that our, our hope meter can kind of take a rise and kind of take a jump a little bit in our life based around some decisions we made. In the first week, we said this. It's if you don't learn to transform your pain, you're just going to end up transferring it. And so when it comes to pains and setbacks and, and struggles in life, you've got to learn to transform that and bring that to God and let him do a work in you and through you to kind of take that to a different place instead of just holding on to that and carrying these extra bags around. You've also got to choose the path of confession over the path of concealment. That the living the authentic, real life really is the best possible way to live. And we've got to make these choices all throughout our life that I can either choose to conceal and kind of hide the real me, or I can live this path of of confession. We kind of looked at the life of David and how he had gone down both of those paths and how he came to the realization that the path of of confession, the path of living this authentic life, it really is the best possible way to live. And we said, okay, we've got to choose to trust God rather than just try really, really hard to please him. That part of pleasing God is faith. It's just trusting Him. That He's taken care of us, that He's met us, that He meets us. And when last week, uh, Brandon did a great job looking at this idea of we've got to learn to be people that forgive instead of just keeping score. That forgiven people, what? Forgive. Forgiven people, forgive. And that really will lead you to a better path. And today I want to look at this idea of of three prayers, okay? As we kind of try to seek to be these hope-filled people, what are some prayers that we can pray in the context of that that continue to allow God's hope to transform us, but also for us to be conduits of that hope to the people around us? And I want to look at these three prayers, and really this whole series is kind of based out of a prayer that Paul prays for the people in Ephesus. And in Ephesians chapter 1, verse, uh, I believe, 18... It kind of talks about this uh, prayer. Let me kind of get to it here. He says, I keep asking, uh, this is verse 17, keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so you may know him better. Then he goes into this prayer. I pray that your eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope that he has called you. That you may know this hope. Paul is praying for the people in Ephesus and he's saying, I pray that you would know this hope. This hope of Jesus that pulls you forward. And that it's not just circumstantial hope, because that's short-lived for almost all of us, isn't it? There's always going to be circumstances that are ebbs and flows and changes. And if you base all of your hope just on circumstances, uh, it will fail you. But if you live by a supernatural hope, a hope that comes from a source that doesn't change no matter what the circumstances change to, that that's really what the hope and a hope-filled life can be. And when we look at this, we begin to see that this, you know, there's always going to come these moments in life that when I fail, who am I going to hope in? When I, when I face failure or rejection or setbacks in life, is my hope going to be in myself? Am I going to be the one that tries to fix everything? Or is my hope going to be Um, different than circumstances? Is it going to be different than just basing it on myself? Is it going to be a supernatural hope that I can look to? When I face moments of of hurt, who am I going to hope in in that moment? Am I hoping in me or am I hoping in in God? Who am I actually basing the foundation of my life upon? That there are two different types of hope. 
It's hoping in something, that's circumstantial, or you can put your hope in someone, supernatural. And we all have to live with this tension, and we all will choose. In fact, we'll choose continually. And sometimes we'll choose circumstantial hope, and we'll put our hope in that. Anyone ever done that before? <laughs> We've all done that. That Maybe you choose a circumstance that you put your hope in, and then all of a sudden that kind of falls apart, and what are you left with? You're left with, gosh, this didn't fulfill, it didn't sustain, it didn't carry me the way I thought it would. Or sometimes you can choose to say, okay, God, I'm going to put my hope in you, and even when it doesn't make sense, and even when I don't feel or sense that you're close, I'm still going to choose to keep my hope in you, that you are going to be the source of that hope. All of Scripture points to one man, to one God. Not because Jesus gives us everything we're hoping for. He isn't like the giant genie in the sky. Sorry. Where you go and say, I'd like a new flat screen. That'd be awesome. And all of a sudden, there it is and it appears. It's Jesus isn't going to give us everything we're hoping for or in necessarily stuff or circumstances, but he is the one to turn to and one that we can put our hope in. And it all comes back to trust. It is the central issue of the spiritual life of following Jesus. Will I trust him or will I trust in myself? Will I choose to exercise trust over and over? And will I choose to begin to put more and more of my efforts and my energy and my focus in choosing him, in following him? Or will I choose a different path? And so with all of that in mind, I would love to, to kind of look at three different prayers that I think we can, we can pray as we seek to be people who live with greater hope. You have to understand Jesus begin to put God on display in a way like no other person ever. You start thinking back through the way of Jesus. In fact, maybe you're here and uh, you're spiritually searching. You wouldn't even label yourself, well, I'm not really a believer. I kind of came to church with a friend, and I think it's awesome that you're here. And here's my hope, my prayer literally for you, is that you would go and allow yourself to go on a journey of investigating Jesus. Because here's what I believe. If you want to know what God is really like, look at Jesus. If you want to know what God, his heart, his character, his thought life, his perceptions, how he sees the world, if you want to know what God's really like, look at Jesus. Because Colossians says that, he is that he's the reflection of, the, of God. He is God. He wasn't just a nice man who was a prophet who had good things to say and a moral dude. He was more than that. And if you want to know what God's really like, look at Jesus. And so you begin looking through Jesus' life, and Jesus began to put God on display in a way that no one else had seen or heard. And it brought an intimacy to this that radically changed things. You think of the early disciples, right? And these are Jewish men who understood prayer, right? We talked about today. How many of you pray? Don't raise your hand. Okay, all of us. They understood prayer. Prayer was a part of not just their life, but of their culture, of their religion, they understood prayer. And one day they see Jesus praying. And what do they say to him? Jesus, teach us to what? Pray. Did you ever stop to think why they asked that question? They knew prayer. They understood prayer. They've been doing it their whole entire life. And something about the way Jesus prayed revolutionized something to them. 
And they said, Jesus, you teach us to pray. Because when I pray, I don't pray like you pray. And I'm watching you pray. And it just it revolutionizes everything about how I even thought prayer was. And what did Jesus teach them in their prayer? Our Father who is in heaven. Do you realize when Jesus said that? That was a radical shift in how people perceived deity in the first century. Our Father. God, you are intimate and you are able to be known, yet you are holy and set apart. You are both and, not either or. And this idea that God was even approachable, that you could call him Abba, Daddy, was so radically different than what everything they had ever seen or know and experienced in themselves. And so Jesus begins to teach them to pray. Jesus was helping put God on fuller display, that they would understand fully who he is and what he's really like. You can actually talk to God and call him Abba, Daddy. Friends, you have to understand how how, what a switch in the mind that was for those early disciples, those early followers. They had never thought of God like that. Jesus begins changing how they see things. You look about how he spoke about God, seeing God as this good heavenly father who, who remembers us. Remember the prodigal son story? Jesus is telling three stories in a row about a lost coin and a lost sheep. And then this son who's lost, right? And he starts talking about this prodigal son and says, you want to know what God's like? And he tells this story. And it's about this prodigal son. That's the story we know. But it really is about the prodigal father. And that may be weird for you to think about until you actually look up at the word prodigal and understand that prodigal means wastefully, recklessly extravagant, lavish. And the son was definitely that, right? Remember, he goes to his father, basically says, I wish you were dead, and I like my inheritance. And the father uh, isn't treating his son like a robot, says, here it is, allows him to use his free will. And his son runs off in this story, right? And what does the father do in this story? The father looks at the horizon day after day, waiting for the son to come home, right? The son finally wakes up after he has been prodigal, recklessly extravagant, lost everything, decides that his dad's servants at his house actually have a better life than he does. And so he decides to go home as a servant. He comes over the horizon, and his dad runs to him, tackles him in love, and begins shouting instructions for a party to happen. All while his son is trying to rehearse his speech of how I'm not worthy to be your son. I only want to be a servant. Would you hire me to be your servant? Right? He never even gets to give his speech in this story, does he? Now, think about that. As a son who has rehearsed this for a long time, what do you want to do? Your very first thing is you want to have a good speech for dad, right? And you don't even get to say it. Why? Because dad's throwing a party for you because you're home. That's recklessly extravagant, isn't it? This is about the prodigal father. And Jesus is saying, you want to know what God's like? He's like this. And so I want to look back at this text that we looked at a couple weeks ago. Because I want us to see what God is really like in these prayers that we can begin to pray as a person who seeks to be hope-filled. And here's what Jesus says in John 15. If you have your Bibles, you can go there. It's on a version. You can follow along. In John 15, he says this, I am the vine, and my Father is the gardener. 
My father is the gardener. In Greek, it's literally this vine dresser, gardener, slash farmer. Remember, this is an agricultural uh, culture that they're a part of. That's the society, the system in which they operated. And so Jesus says, uh, God is like this good farmer. He's this good gardener. That's what he's like. I'm the vine. My father's like this. He begins putting God on display. Now, how many of you have ever been to a farm before? Ever been maybe to a uh, vineyard before? Okay. And you can kind of see it. And here's what you know. Um, Intuitively, you, you realize that doesn't just happen, right? Like, people don't just show up on a land, and all of a sudden, I'm going to farm, and the next day they wake up and crops are growing, right? That doesn't happen. Hello? You're with me, right? That doesn't just happen, right? There's a lot of work and a lot of effort. I have friends who live in uh, Winkleman, Arizona, right? And I went up there, and I had my, uh, this is a different story, but I had my city slicker day where I got to brand cattle and castrate bulls. It was awesome. Um, and uh, I realized I'm, I'm never going to do that again. So... But while I was there, I was watching uh, Farmer Bill, is what I call him, and Farmer Bill has developed this farm. And he starts telling me all about how they farm. They have cotton, and they've got alfalfa that literally they actually transport to and send off to France. It's like, you're in Winkleman, what? And so like he's got this market that's going worldwide, and he begins showing me all the different things that they do to make their crops ready, to get this farm ready to produce, even in the off-season. When it's not growing season, there's so much work that's going. They have GPS tractors. Literally, listen, people don't even drive the tractor. They just put it in, they start it up, they put the GPS thing, and the whole thing drives by itself. And I was like, whoa. So I'm watching this. This is super cool. And realizing that there's so much work. He's talking about the soil and how they work with the soil and how they alternate fields and how they just do all this preparation that goes long before the crops are actually planted and and put and help tendered to grow and to nourish, right? There's so much work that goes on. Here's the first prayer. I would love for you to pray. God, give me a greater view of you. To make that a prayer of your life, that if you want to be a hope-filled person, continually ask God, give me a greater view of you. Because sometimes we limit and we kind of, we set these boundaries on God and we say, God, you've got to operate this way. And I think the lesson we can learn from Jesus is that over and over and over again, he's putting God on bigger display, giving a fuller picture of what he's really like. And a prayer of a hope-filled person says, God, would you help me to have a fuller expression and understanding of you, that you are not just the good father who loves his son, who is even wayward, or his daughter that has gone off, that your grace meets us. And you are our heavenly father. You are Abba, but you are a gardener. You're this farmer that is always at work behind the scenes in my life, even when I don't recognize him. Even when this is not the season of growth, but this is a season of cultivation. And if you've ever been to a vineyard, you realize that when they go through the vineyard owners and these gardeners and the vine dressers of that area, they go through and they kind of hack up the vine, right? They cut through it. And they do all these things, and there's all these green leaves that fall on the ground. And you think, from an outside perspective, that's a waste. And the truth is, they're actually making it better for the long run, right? Which maybe leads us into the second prayer. Jesus goes on in this passage, and he says, He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so they'll even be more fruitful. Maybe the second prayer is, God, is there anything in my life that needs to be pruned. 
Is there anything in my life that needs to be cut out or adjusted or reshaped in a way? And then listen, that's not a prayer that you're going to find on a Christian t-shirt. Okay? That's not a prayer that's going to be easy to pray. That's not a prayer that comes to the top. Usually our prayers are, hey, God, give me that parking space, right? Or, hey, help this relationship get better because it's going south. Or, God, would you help this or help that or help whatever it might be? It's usually a request. And maybe one of the best prayers of a hope-filled person is this request to God, would you refine me to be better? Would you shape me? Would you eliminate some of the things that are holding me back from becoming all that you want me to be? That in order to fully trust God, you must be willing to invite and welcome the pruning process at times in life. And that's not necessarily easy. Whether it's times I know in my life where I've faced poor habits or decision-making. Maybe it's moments in your life where you needed to create some boundaries. And maybe remove yourself from situations or relationships and kind of say, God, that's not an easy thing to say. But God, maybe part of this is pruning, helping me become better. Maybe it's whether learning to face some fears and to move forward in faith. Whether it's moments of, of exercising forgiveness when it's really difficult to do that. It's not easy. Or to love someone that seems unlovable in the moment. And to say, God, would you help me to do that? I know um, at moments in my life, God worked in saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to prune some of this in you. I want you to enter into this pruning process. And one of those was uh, just people approval. You know, I grew up as a firstborn. Uh, I still am. And I grew up as a firstborn and I wanted to please. Has anyone ever struggled with that? And everything in your life sometimes is about seeking people's approval and wanting to be on the nice list, right? Not the naughty list. And wanting to be the one that people look to. And there's so much that goes with that. And in a lot of ways, that's a good thing. But can that tendency and that pursuit get you sideways? Yeah. And for a long time for me, I did a lot of different things to seek approval. And the reality is I thought it was to seek out love and it was really just selfish love. And it was a hidden pride in my own life. And God had to weed that out and begin to kind of chop away at that. And that wasn't fun. And the pruning process isn't necessarily a fun process, but it is a healthy process. And that's what we need to remember. That God, I want to be a healthy follower, a healthy, hope-filled follower of Jesus. And so there's these some prayers that we can begin to pray God, seek, would you be a part of this process? You know, every time you take gold, to make pure gold, what do you have to do? You have to put it in a furnace, right? And fire it up. And you put some heat on that. Anytime you want to have healthy children, sometimes you have to exercise what? Discipline. Is that ever fun? No. As a parent, I'm telling you, it's not fun. But it's for their good, right? Now, you don't do that, you know, in anger and you don't do that in spite but you do it for a purpose. And there's going to be moments where you make that prayer and you say, God, I want to open my life to be a part of this pruning process because I want to be better. I want to have a better, more healthy, more authentic way of living in life with you. So is there anything in me that you need to prune? Not only is it cutting away and taking away, but it's so that I can have better growth in what remains, right? That's the process. And it's not just elimination, but it's cultivation of what is to come. Maybe a third prayer. Kind of go on verse 5 down here. It says, I am the vine, Jesus is saying again, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do 
nothing. I want you to remain in me. And as you remain in me, there's going to be this production of fruit. And there's going to be fruit that comes out of your life and the way that you live. And it will take notice and it will take some things to make that happen. This third prayer is, God, would you give me heroic courage? Would you give me this heroic courage to make decisions? Now, often when we think of heroic courage, we think of the X Games. Any X Games fans here? Two of you. Awesome. So... These X Games fans, or we think of heroic courage sometimes being these ultra stunt people, right? And I don't know if you ever heard of Felix Baumgartner, who in 2012 became the first man to jump from space. Anyone ever see this video? This guy literally is 24 miles up in the air, 128,000 feet above the earth. And when we think of heroics sometimes, this is what we think of. We think of doing something that is so far beyond our ability, so far beyond, I've got to have this heroic courage. I've got to build myself up. I've got to make this leap. This guy fell for four minutes in a free fall. Think about that. I fall off a stage and I'm scared, right? 128,000 feet. And sometimes we associate heroic courage with this kind of stunt. And here's what I want to challenge you with. Heroic courage is an everyday courage. It's an everyday, every moment kind of courage. It's God saying, I want to build a courage in you that you would do courageous things for me. And that sometimes won't get posted on YouTube. It won't make it into the newspaper. In those moments of heroic courage and everyday moments of life, it won't be something that people even talk about at times. It will be something that you just quietly say, God, I want to be a person of everyday courage. He's talking about telling the truth and being a person who seeks to live with integrity because, friends, that takes courage in our culture, doesn't it? He's talking about a single parent who says, I'm committing my life to raising my son or my daughter. That takes courage in our culture, doesn't it? He's talking about people who say, uh, someone who will finally have the guts to say, I need help and I will seek it out instead of just continually hiding and being a part. He's talking about loving someone who everyone else seems to characterize as unlovable. And yet you step into a moment at work or at school or in your neighborhood or in associations where you're connected and you choose to show love and expression of that. He's talking about a person who has never tithed before and says, God, I'm going to actually trust you with my finances. I'm going to trust you that you're actually the creator and the giver of all that anyway. And you begin to live that way and trusting him with wisdom and practicing that. He's talking about people who are stepping out in faith and trusting that God has maybe birthed something new in them to do something, to be active with that, and yet they've been sitting on the sidelines and finally this everyday heroic courage says, I'm going to take my first step in that expression. Friends, the decisions of everyday courage may not be glamorous and they may not be noticeable to everyone else, but they are noticeable within you and they're noticeable to God. And he says, I want you to be a person of heroic, everyday courage. I wrote this. Every step of godly courage creates a ripple of godly activity in your life and will leave a godly impact in the lives around you. When you live with heroic courage in everyday moments and everyday decisions as being a parent, of being a friend, of being a relative, of just being connected in the relationships you have and you live with that courage, it will leave an impact and make a difference in people around you. It's the courage to trust him. God, you're the source of my hope. And I can have circumstantial hope, 
but it's not the foundation of my life. Because circumstances will come and go. They will ebb and flow. They will change. They will shatter. They will break. And they will be beautiful at times. But that is not my foundation. My foundation of hope is you. And we're reminded in Second Corinthians, if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. God is the author of new beginnings. And to be a person of hope means I don't settle for circumstantial hope. I choose to live with a supernatural hope. And I become a person who begins to have this kind of prayer life. This says, God, are there things in me? Would you expand my view of you? Are there things in me that are holding me back? Would you kind of bring me into this pruning process to make me better, to become more and more what you've created and called me to be? And God, would you give me this heroic, everyday courage to step into moments instead of shying away from them, but to step into those moments that you open an opportunities for me to have to make a difference? My hope is based on something far, far greater. And hope-filled people begin to think and begin to pray this way. What would it be for a community like us to stand? You heard Rex insane kind of the scenarios of everything that's around central Tucson, right? And how the dynamics have changed around here. What would it be like for a community of people to say, we want to make a difference here? That's the path we're on, the process that we're in, to begin to see and experience and begin to experiment with what does that mean for a church like Element City Church to say, God, we want to be not just hope-filled for us, but to be hope-filled so that we're poured out, to pour in hope to other people, and to pour in hope to other people in this particular part of the city and in the heart of our city. Would you give us visions and dreams for that? Would you give us a heroic courage for that? Would you expand our viewpoint of you? And would you prune us in a way that we need it, that we'd be better, um, we'd be better shaped to be useful to you? And so as we make our way to communion here, I'm going to invite you just to maybe take a moment and to pray that. To take a moment, maybe one of those prayers stuck out to you. And that's a prayer maybe God's saying, hey, this is, this is your prayer. I need you to pray this. I need you to either see me for bigger than what maybe you've settled in for, or I need you to come into this process where I want to prune a little bit, and I know it may be uncomfortable, but it will be for your good, and it will make you better. Or I want you to to stop shying away from opportunities, and I want you to step into those. I want you to live with this everyday courage. And so I just want to create some space. I'm going to pray here in a second to close us, and our worship team is going to come back up. And we're going to have a moment here of communion. We've got communion on the sides and in the middle here that you're welcome to participate in as we remember the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus and that he is our hope. He's our source of hope. And then we're going to close in a couple of worship songs. But I want to give you some space right now, just 20 seconds or so, to pick one of those prayers and to lean into it and just you and God have a conversation of which prayer is that for you. Go ahead and take that minute. Father, we want to be a people that continually see you for who you really are. I thank you for the calling and the journey that you have Element City Church on. I thank you for each person that's here and the part that they play, the integral part 
that they play in the mission, in the vision of the church here in the heart of the city. Father, you've got different uh, visions for each one of us to participate and play in that. You've given us different skill sets and abilities and dreams and passions, and I pray that you would ignite that, that we would be a useful force for the momentum of Jesus Christ and his mission and his heart for people. Father, you've given us wisdom and obviously our own free will to make choices, and as we've looked over these last few weeks, we want to be a people that live healthy. That, that seek to have this hope continually poured into us and that we don't squelch that with our decisions and our choices. So would you help us to be people who live with this hope? And as people who are hope-filled, would you guide our prayers? That, God, we would pray to see you in, in a greater glory and to expand the scope of who you are. Would you prune us in moments and in seasons of life to not just eliminate things that are holding us back, but, God, to foster and grow and nurture things that need to expand and become more active. Father, would you be about that in us? Would you make us an everyday heroic courage kind of people? We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his courage to step into a moment of history because we needed him to. And he wanted to. So we remember in communion as we close in these worship songs, we just celebrate you. We celebrate Jesus and all that he has done. All that he has yet to do. Innocent through us. We pray that in Jesus' name.